Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. Welcome back to this month's episode. Thanks for joining in. This is article number three in the small mini-series around how you can use BFR in different ways around knee surgery, and in particular, it could be any surgery, to be honest with you. And just as a little refresher here, I started to review a paper around the inclusion of 12 sessions of BFR strength training and how that improves strength, hypertrophy, and function after knee surgery. And probably as I've always advocated, I think BFR in particular in that rehab space after surgery is just absolutely fantastic because you don't need that high loading to get the gains that you need to get for optimal recovery. And and obviously this paper reminded me of the process that I actually undertook when I had my knee surgery just over a year ago. And I actually applied BFR in several different ways. And I thought it would be good to review the papers that supported the different ways that I use BFR in my recovery. As I mentioned, the first way was the more traditional concept of BFR, which we're all familiar with, low-load BFR for strength and muscle development, which is something that is fantastic pre and acute post-operation due to that inability to load the knee. The second article review looked at how BFR assists with pain, both acutely and longitudinally. And although I didn't go into the mechanisms, I just really wanted to highlight that it can actually not only just decrease pain, but I think more importantly, it can just improve daily function on being able to just move, sit, stand, walk around. And even in the athletic population, but you know, I, I know there's a lot of people out there who just put up with pain. That's just debilitating. So there's a way that we can decrease pain and obviously drug-free. I think that is really advantageous. Also, the use of BFR around attenuating joint and tendon pain I think is a really underutilized tool. And and I do wonder in some contact-based sports, as long as there's no major bruising, can that actually help improve that recovery post-game? Anyway, look, I use this type of method extensively with a lot of the athletes that I train and clients who experience joint and tendon pain and have had great success. As I mentioned earlier also in that podcast that prior to my operation, I used BFR whenever my knee was sore. So I thought of it like taking paracetamol for joint pain. Instead, you're just using BFR. The idea around today's article review is looking at that period leading into the operation. And I think this is really an opportunity to improve strength levels with the view to improving the outcome at the end of the operation. Depending on the severity of the injury, the ability to do this can be problematic. And as I've seen firsthand, this is where the advantage of BFR really comes into its own with the benefits of using low loads, but also you can actually get benefits using small range of movement. Therefore, this really opens up the amount of exercise variety that can be implemented with positive effects. Also, the ability to access a gym with adequate equipment may not be possible for everyone. Therefore, this places BFR as a much better option for some of the population who can't or don't access a gym. And as we all know, is that the whole COVID pandemic that we're currently experiencing at this moment has put forward a lot of issues with accessing to gyms. Therefore, the ability to have a set of cuffs at home with using low loads or some bands that are quite easy to purchase, you you can actually start getting some really great gains for yourself. Therefore, moving into the period leading into the operation, I thought I'd look at an article 
which is called short-term preconditioning with blood flow-restricted exercise, preserves quadriceps muscle endurance in patients after anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction. And this is an original research paper out of Slovenia. Digging straight into the paper with a little bit of background information in the introduction. Firstly, the authors just discuss the role of the quadriceps muscle. In particular, weakness in this quadriceps muscle is the major cause of poor functional status of patients following otherwise successful ACL reconstruction. Therefore, the primary goal of post-operative rehabilitation is to restore normal muscle activation and function as soon as possible. However, despite best efforts from both patient and physiotherapists during the rehab process, considerable impairments of quadriceps muscle often persist for several months after the reconstruction. The deficits in muscle strength and endurance contribute to altered movement patterns of the involved limb and thus increase the risk of early onset of knee osteoarthritis. This is where performing some form of preconditioning or prehabilitation exercise program could really be of benefit in this scenario. In this here, these type of programs aim to increase lower limb muscle strength prior to surgery, which is believed to substantially attenuate the deterioration of muscle function in the aftermath. Although temporary enhancements of muscle strength and function can be clearly gained with various preconditioning programs, there is little evidence to support their alleged protective effect against muscle deconditioning in the post-operative period. In particular, the impetus for utilizing preconditioning programs comes from several studies which showed strong positive associations between preoperative strength levels of knee muscles, quadriceps femoris in particular, and the successful long-term outcomes of ACL reconstruction. However, focusing on maximal muscle strength gains prior to surgery may not give the best results. In particular, the authors of this study here had a recent analysis which showed that the level of preoperative quadriceps femoris muscle endurance and not its maximal strength is the strongest predictor of muscle atrophy in the first four weeks after ACL reconstruction. Therefore, enhancing the preoperative quadriceps femoris muscle endurance may therefore be more important for effective protection against post-operative deconditioning in these patients. Why some patients develop severe post-operative quadriceps muscle weakness is not actually fully understood. Development of post-operative muscle atrophy and dysfunction is a multifactorial phenomenon, which is mainly caused by reducing limb loading and arthrogenic muscle inhibition driven by pain and joint swelling. In addition, a latent ischemic reperfusion injury triggered by prolonged arterial occlusion during surgery augments quadriceps atrophy in the early post-operative period. It can be estimated from animal models that irreversible damage to skeletal muscle develops only after three to six hours of complete ischemia. Furthermore, in other studies, smaller scale edema of the vastus lateralis muscle cells and surrounding microcirculation is initiated after only 15 minutes of surgery performed with a tourniquet and progresses to severe damage and death of some myocytes after 90 minutes of ischemia. Utilizing a standard ischemic preconditioning protocol, comprised of several three to five minute intervals of complete blood flow restriction, intermittent by equal periods of reperfusion on a resting skeletal muscle before its exposure to prolonged ischemia, can reduce gross muscle damage and increase cell survival. I've actually spoken a little bit about the protective mechanism around ischemic preconditioning, and there's also some really great evidence around stem cells as well, which really adds to this paper. Going further from the passive use of BFR in the ischemic preconditioning, but the addition of using low load resistance exercise in particular 
as we know, has been demonstrated to be superior in enhancing local muscle endurance to equal exercise with normal blood flow and high load training. And this is where I think the potential thought of this paper comes along around using BFR to improve the endurance of the muscle. Now, this is actually the second paper around this concept. And in their first study of short-term preconditioning of quadriceps femoris muscle with low load BFR exercise, it didn't actually detect a significant attenuation of atrophy or a loss of maximal strength in the first 12 weeks following ACL reconstruction. When they actually looked at possible reasons as to why there was no effect for this intervention, they realized that by focusing on maximal muscle strength, they may have overlooked its more plausible preventative effect. And given that low load BFA exercise is very potent in enhancing skeletal muscle endurance and vascular function in healthy subjects, it's likely that the preconditioning with BFR exercise would have more protective effect on the same inpatients exposed to prolonged surgery with a tourniquet. The authors hypothesized in the present study that the primary effect of preconditioning with low load BFR exercise would be to preserve quadriceps femoris muscle endurance and microvascular function during the first 12 weeks after ACL reconstruction, and that the changes in endurance are strongly associated with changes in muscle blood flow and pattern of muscle activation. Moving on to the study here, there was 20 patients, of which 16 were male and 4 were female. And the inclusion criteria were that they were aged between 18 to 45 years. They had an ACL tear of more than six months with sufficient range of motion to perform exercise. Pain level during exercise of less than 20 on a visual analog scale between 0 to 100 and no previous surgeries to the affected knee. Although we're looking at the period before the operation and on how that had an effect after the operation, just a small note here that the post-operative rehabilitation process began on the first post-operative day where for five weeks all patients followed identical post-operative protocols which was performed three times a week and that consisted of different elements such as cryotherapy, passive and active range of movement exercises, manual joint mobilization and different proprioceptive balance and strengthening exercises supervised by the physiotherapist at the same rehabilitation unit. However, what we want to do is we're going to look at the period before the actual operation. In this here, the patients conducted five exercise sessions equally distributed during the last eight days before the surgery. One patient group performed blood flow restricted exercise, and the other group performed the exercise with sham blood restriction, or in other words, the control group. The exercise program they did was really simple. Once again, what I love about the use of BFR in these type of scenarios, and it was a unilateral resisted knee extension in a leg extension machine. And this was done with the ACL deficient leg only. The injured leg was not trained and therefore was served as a control for calculation of strength deficits. In this program here, the patients in the BFR group performed six sets of knee extension exercise to failure at each exercise session. A 40 repetition maximum was set individually for each patient before the first exercise session by trial and error. After the first, third and fifth set, 45 seconds of rest without reperfusion was allowed. And after the second and fourth set, the tourniquets were actually deflated to allow 90 seconds of reperfusion. The patients in the sham BFR group performed the same exercise protocol and replicated the same number of repetitions per set achieved by his or her pairing from the BFR group. They also used a set pressure of 150 mils of mercury 
and this was based on results of a series of prior pilot experiments performed in their lab on healthy subjects. The outcome measures, they assessed muscle strength and endurance, comprising measures of maximal volitional isometric contraction torque and time of sustained submaximal isometric contraction. They also looked at surface EMG of the vastus medialis muscle and the oxygenation and hemoglobin kinetics of the vastus lateralis muscle. The measurements were performed prior to the preconditioning protocol and repeated at week four post with the exclusion of the isometric torque and at week 12 after surgery. With respect to the muscle maximal isometric torque, this was performed on a static dynamometer and it was in a sitting position with 60 degrees of knee flexion. Interestingly, loading of the ACL has been shown to be minimal in this joint position, which allowed safe testing postoperatively. The muscle isometric endurance test was performed in the same position as the maximal isometric torque. And what they did here is they used 30% of the preoperative maximal volitional isometric contraction torque. And this was calculated for each individual and set as a target for evaluating endurance. When they performed the endurance test, a line marking the target of 30% of the individual's maximal volitional isometric contraction torque was provided on a computer screen, which was set in front of the patient for visual feedback. The patient followed the target line as closely as possible during the test. Another line marking, which highlighted the lowest limit for test termination at 90% of the target value, was also shown on the screen. So just summarizing here, they performed six sets of single leg extension to fatigue, and they measured over five sessions within a period of eight days prior to surgery, and they looked at maximal muscle isometric torque, muscle isometric endurance, or so they looked at surface EMG of the vastus medialis muscle, and also they looked at the muscle blood flow in the vastus lateralis muscle, and this was measured with near-infrared spectroscopy during the endurance test. Before we get into the discussion, just a quick snapshot of the results, which I think we're all interested in knowing what happened here. If we look at the maximal isometric torque over time, there was no significant time group interaction was found between both groups. Whereas in the endurance test at 30% of their maximal isometric torque, in the sham group, the sustained quadriceps femoris contraction actually shortened at four weeks and then returned to preoperative values at week 12. And in the BFR group, interestingly here, there was no change in the time of sustained contraction at any time point after surgery. EMG amplitude in the vastus lateralis muscle increased by 54% at week four after surgery in the BFR group only. And muscle blood flow increased significantly by approximately 52% in the BFR group and decreased significantly by 32% in the sham group at week four after surgery. As we can see here, the results show that the patients treated with low load BFR exercise protocol did not display deterioration in the quadriceps femoris muscle endurance in the first four weeks after surgery, whereas patients who performed the same exercise protocol with the sham occlusion demonstrated approximately 50% reduction of muscle endurance. The difference in the quadriceps femoris muscle endurance between both groups was no longer evident 12 weeks after surgery. With respect to the muscle blood flow and microvascular function, there was a 50% increase in post-exercise muscle blood flow in the BFR group and a 30% decrease in the sham control group at four weeks after reconstruction, which alluded to changes in either vasomotor tone regulation or density of muscle capillary network. 
it appears that preconditioning with BFR exercise enhanced muscle microvascular function and preserved it up to four weeks after surgery, whereas deterioration of microvascular function were present in patients who were preconditioned with the sham or control intervention. This is really important to understand here because degradation of skeletal muscle capillary networks followed prolonged ischemia delays its recovery and therefore deterioration of muscle blood flow response to exercise observed in the sham control group could be a sign of the ischemia reperfusion damage to the quadriceps muscle induced by the surgical tourniquet. In other words, a protective mechanism was actually at play here. Also noting here that by performing the last BFR exercise session within 24 to 48 hours prior to surgery, they utilized the same time period as for the late phase of protection with ischemic preconditioning. And the attenuated decrease in muscle blood flow strongly suggests that quadricep muscle microcirculatory function was successfully protected in patients preconditioned with BFR exercise. If we look towards the EMG or the muscle activation during the endurance test, despite the uniform decrease in the EMG activation after the surgery, the BFR group presented significant increases in the amplitude of EMG at post four weeks. This implies on the preserved ability to increase volitional activation of a larger number of motor units to compensate for the decrease in force capacity which in turn resulted in significantly longer times of sustained contraction compared to the sham control group. These results are in line with the consensus in the literature that BFR exercise implicates greater muscular activation to maintain the same work output. Again, in summary here, this study demonstrated that short-term preconditioning with low-load BFR exercise training has significantly stronger positive effects on quadriceps femoris muscle endurance, its activation, and perfusion after ACL reconstruction than equal training performed without blood flow restriction. The preserved endurance of the quadricep muscle was paralleled with an enhanced muscle perfusion and an increased amplitude of EMG for a given torque output as seen in the endurance test. And given that preoperative muscle endurance has been shown to be the strongest independent predictor of quadriceps femoris muscle weakness following ACL reconstruction, the preconditioning with low load BFR exercise may serve as a valuable addition to standard physiotherapy programs for patients elected for ACL reconstruction or, in fact, any other limb surgery performed with a tourniquet. As the authors stated there, for me personally, I think this paper highlights small yet positive benefits across a very short time frame using BFR. As I'll keep building these articles, I think you'll see that the gains within each specific application are small. Yet, when you put them together, provides a more compelling and strengthened system for BFR use. And that's the thing with academic research. It typically looks at a narrow target of markers. However, in the real world, we look at the complete and holistic view, which is what I'm trying to do with these set of studies and this small little mini-series. As you can see, I'm building the case across the whole spectrum of the knee rehab, starting with a global viewpoint of the advantage of BFR post-knee surgery with low load strength training to set the scene and then looking at the ability to attenuate pain, and then today's paper looking at the advantage of pre-strengthening prior to surgery, and its immediate advantage post-surgery. Again, a more aggressive BFR rehab program of a longer duration, or even incorporating high-frequency training, such as twice-a-day training, may yield even better results. Join me in the next episode, where I keep building the framework and look at how the use of BFR pre-operation can provide a protective mechanism against complications associated across operations, and in particular, myocardial injury.
Before I go, if you're looking for guidance with your own rehab program, please contact me through my website, which is sportsrehab.com.au or through my socials at Chris Cavillio. Also, if you don't know, I actually sell my own brand of BFR cuffs, the Sports Rehab Tourniquet or the SRT. So make sure you check them out also at my website. See you at the next episode.